This conference is special to me. Um, I did not grow up at Fairhaven, but because of being so close uh, and Pastor Zdarsky bringing me here to preaching conference, I got to attend every year, and I haven't missed one since I was 12. And I'm 35 now, and it's just a blessing. And I grew up seeing all kinds of things done in the preaching conference. TVs busted and <laughs> assistants being laid in caskets. Um, but what has not changed is the conviction in, in, in my heart as I sit and listen to the preaching. And I've been convicted. And that's why I came. And uh, we've been challenged. And I was sitting up there trying to see if Brother Cloud was here. I didn't know if he had backslid and slipped out on us, but there he is. He, he waved his hand. So. But those messages that have been preached have been, have been powerful messages. And, and, and not, not hype here, not man worship here, preaching, powerful preaching, and that's what we need. Take your Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 51, Psalm chapter 51, I want to preach a message tonight entitled, How to Have Victory Over a Backslidden Heart, How to Have Victory over a backslidden heart. This is the saddest psalm in all 150. Its major theme is sin. And that's what makes it so sad. This psalm has been called the penitential psalm. Call it whatever you want. It tells us how we can overcome a backsliding heart. The psalm shows us the secret to getting right and staying right. It's also a contemporary psalm in that much of it applies today. And I want us to use this psalm tonight, and I want God to use this psalm tonight in our hearts. We're going to look at David. Brother Gilmore mentioned David. And as we look at David tonight, we're going to see his crown slightly tilted on his head. We're going to see some tear stains on the front of his purple robe, and you'll see why in just a moment. Psalm 51, verse number 1, the Bible says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me truly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom." Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, 
and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Again, the title of my message is How to Get Victory Over a Backsliding Heart. I want you to look at verse number 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this conference. I thank you what it's meant to me all these years. And Lord, I thank you for dealing with our hearts this week. I believe your Holy Spirit has been very present here. And Lord, we call upon thee yet again, and we ask that you would meet with us, that you challenge our hearts, that you convict us, and Lord, that you help us to see what a backsliding heart can lead to. I pray for your power and for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the biblical definition of a backslider? If we were going to draw a picture tonight of a backslider, what would we include in our picture? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about backsliding. Hosea mentions backsliding four times. He calls Israel a backslidden heifer. What does backsliding have to do with cows? Turn to Proverbs chapter 14, if you would. Proverbs chapter 14. In basic terminology, a backslider wants self more than they want God. Proverbs chapter 14. Verse number 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. To me, the most encouraging thing about the usage of this word in Scripture is that God invites the backslider to return. It's a blessed invitation here in Jeremiah to come back to fellowship again. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse number 12. Jeremiah 3, 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. And I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and will not keep anger forever. But let's not forget verse 13. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. Let's skip down to verse number 14. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. For I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and will bring you to Zion. Verse number 22. Return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Can you say amen to that? Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Over and over again, this word backsliding is found in the Bible. Lot was a just man. He was saved, 
but he backslid. Peter was backslidden at one point in his life as well. Now, many people use this word in Christianity today, and they have no idea what the word backslide means. A backslider is not an unsaved person. A backslider is not a hypocrite. A backslider may be hypocritical, but when you look at the scripture, whenever that word hypocrite is used, it's always referring to unsaved people. Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. He called them whited sepulchers, full of dead men's bones, blind leaders of the blind, a generation of vipers. They were unsaved. You see, before you can backslide from something, you've got to be somewhere to backslide from. And people in churches today, it's a concern to a pastor. They come down to the altar over and over again, rededicating and rededicating and rededicating. Sometimes you wonder, are they even saved to have anything to dedicate? Backsliding is not a term that's used with an unsaved person. Secondly, a backslider is not someone who has been genuinely saved and then they've lost their salvation. You say, why? Because that's an impossibility. I believe in the security, the eternal security of the believer. I'm one of those once saved, always saved preachers, and I'm proud of it. Because it's what I see in the Bible. Jesus believed in the eternal security of the believer. In John 10, 28, he said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Paul believed in the eternal security of the believer. In Romans 8, 1, he said, There is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I could go on and on and on. You won't find one person in the Bible that got saved and lost their salvation. Noah got drunk, but he didn't lose his salvation. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I know that David went to bed with Bathsheba. But he didn't lose his salvation. Read the Bible. He lost the joy of his salvation. Peter was backsliding bad. Naked. Fishing for fish instead of fishing for men. Away from God. But he got right with God. And he became the Pentecostal preacher. I'm saying that if you've got it tonight, you can't lose it. Salvation is just as eternal as God Himself. And if I have to die and go to hell, Jesus has to go with me. Because He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Thank God for the wonderful promise we have of our eternal security. So a backslider is not an unsaved hypocrite. A backslider is not one who's lost their salvation because you can't. Then what is a backslider? The best answer, answer to that question is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 tells us what a backslider is. Psalm 51 tells us what, what, how a backslider operates, what they do. Now, for the background of this, the, the, the setting here, for the plot, you've got to read 2 Samuel 11 and 12. You don't need to turn there tonight. But David was on the rooftop on an even tide. And Bathsheba was washing herself. Ladies, pull the shades. 
If it's not for sale, don't advertise. Mini skirts. Tight pants. Any Christian woman that dresses in such a way to cause a man to lust ought to be drunk, kicked over the moon. Modest apparel. We need our women to look like women. Smell like women. Walk like women. David saw her bathing. And lust set into his heart like concrete. And he reached out in his kingly authority and committed two wicked sins. The bloody hands of murder and the scarlet sin of adultery. Nathan comes and says, Thou art the man. But if you want to know what's going on in his heart after that, Thou art the man, you've got to study Psalm 51. He spent over a year backslidden, hoping that no one knew. And he went through some sad things. I see basically two types of backsliders. The first one has the seeds that that eventually germinate into full-time backsliding, if you want to call it that. But the second one is more subtle. They lean toward it. They never fully go into the world, but they're not right with God. But one thing's for sure, if you're backslidden tonight, you know it. And God knows it. And if you've been sitting under this preaching and you're backslidden, you really know it. I may not know it, but you know it. I'm here to tell you that the most miserable person on the face of the earth is a saved person who's not right with God. If you're backslidden tonight, let's learn some lessons. Number one, backsliders never get right until they stop blaming others. We're experts at it. All of us. We're always looking for somebody else to blame. Pass the buck. This started with Adam and Eve. The woman that thou gavest me. Shifting responsibility is an instinct inside of us. Every one of us have it. Care how spiritual think you think you are. Those defenses come up. And we shift the responsibility to someone else to keep us from having to deal with the sin. That's why we do it. A little boy was in geography class one day and he went to sleep. The teacher woke him up and said, Billy, you were sleeping. He said, yes, but I was dreaming about geography. (laughs) We'll blame it on gout. I got gout, Pastor. I got a hangnail. I got a job where the men curse and the women dress bad. And Lord, you know how tired I've been lately. My physical resistance is broken down and it's getting harder and harder to say no. And I feel sorry for me, Lord, and and I know you feel sorry for me too. I can't quit, but I'm going to try. We say it's the TV's fault, as if it doesn't have an off button. Get rid of it. I'm glad that when my wife and I were dating, we said at the dating table, we're never going to have a television in our home that we own. No. Filth. 
Get rid of it. Well, it's my background's fault. <laughs> See, I come from the hood. <laughs> and I do. The ghetto, I come from here, or a broken home, and I do. You can only use that excuse for so long. There's got to come a time when you rise above whatever excuse you're hanging on to. I grew up in a cesspool, you might say. Or my parents weren't what they should have been. As in Adam, we all pass the buck. But there's a place when you come to as David did when you stop passing the buck. And when you see your sin as miserably wicked and you stop passing the buck and you stop putting up the smoke screens and you say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And you'll get down to business dealing with you. And you'll see that the problem isn't them or that or this. It's you. That's where David got to. When your sin gets personal, you'll get right with God. It's not as complicated as we make it out to be. When your sin gets personal, then you're ready to get right with God. But you'll never be honest with God till you're honest with you. The pastor gets up and he preaches. And you say, oh, that was good for so-and-so. Huh? And you kind of lean over and look and see if so-and-so is getting convicted. Yeah. Hope he got that. Did you get it? In the first four verses of Psalm 51, if you mark your Bible, I want you to look at the personal pronouns. Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only have I sinned. Four verses, eleven personal pronouns. That's when you're ready to get right with God. When sin gets personal. Let me tell you when David got right with God. When he stopped talking about other people and got to the me's, the eyes, and the mind. He had all kinds of people he might have been tempted to blame. Bathsheba shouldn't have been out there like that, and she shouldn't have. Uriah shouldn't have let her be out there, and he shouldn't have. Joab was the one that actually organized the murder. Nathan, you're too critical when you pointed at me and said, Thou art the man. Could have blamed the preacher like some of you do. But he didn't. Eleven personal pronouns in four verses. That's when a backslider gets right with God. And it's time that some of us stop passing the buck and get down to the business of cleaning up our lives. What's going to happen if I don't? Well, like David, you'll pay the price. And he did. He didn't really come to his senses till he saw his dead baby in the crib. David didn't really come to his senses until he saw his dead son hanging from the oak with the darts of Joab in his belly. 
till his son raped his daughter. And I respect David. I do. I love David. But listen to me. He went to his grave, an old man, and the sword never departed from his house. It's impossible to be honest with God when you're not going to be honest with yourself. Quit saying others and start saying me, me, me. Number two, backsliders never get right until they see the seriousness of their sin. Brother Gilmore touched on this, and I said amen to it. It's a sad day in fundamental churches. Now, we know the world's not serious about sin. There wouldn't be as many R-rated movies if they were. There wouldn't be as many homosexuals. There wouldn't be as many abortions. But Christians have become this way. Lesser G! We're insensitive to sin. We don't have the old-fashioned altars filled with weeping backsliders getting right with God. It's a blunder. It's an accident. A little mistake. But in this chapter, God calls it a transgression. Adultery is not a sin anymore. It's called an affair. Affair is a little sweeter of a word, isn't it? Affair rolls off the tongue a little softer, doesn't it? Affair doesn't have as much stigma to it, does it? It doesn't offend anybody either. It was an affair. Hopefully you don't have a television at home, but if you do and you turn it on, you could hear that word 500 times in one day. Affair, affair, affair. And never hear it called adultery. Never hear it called fornication. Never hear it called what God calls it. Drunkenness is not a sin anymore. People call it disease. That's wrong. It's not a disease, it's sin. And this, this terminology has crept into our independent Baptist churches. And now we're using that terminology. I'm sick. Somebody that's a drunk who doesn't have the victory over alcohol calls him, I'm sick. No, it's wickedness. And you need to call it what God calls it. If alcoholism is a disease, it's the only disease that I know of that comes packaged. It's the only disease that I know of that's sold over the counter. It's the only disease that I know of that people say tastes good. Call it like it is. Homosexuality is not a perversion anymore. It's an alternate lifestyle. This kind of terminology is being used in fundamental Baptist churches. It shows how weak our attitude is towards sin. Abortion's not murder anymore. It's a Supreme Court choice. Nakedness is not a sin anymore. It's getting back to nature. Smoking's not a sin anymore. It's getting back to your masculinity. Well, how's it going to feel when that doctor says you've got a cancerous spot on your lung? I've got news for you. You'll never get right with God until you use Bible terminology for your sin. Look at verse number four. 
We see the heart of David here. We see him pouring himself out before God. Psalm 51, verse 4, against thee, thee only, have I sinned. I, I take note of that. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David, David never got right with God till he saw how vile and malignant his own sin was. We do the same thing, though. Listen, we might not be of the crowd that will rename drunkenness. We might not be of the crowd that will rename homosexuality. But we play the same game with pride. We call it confidence. We play the same game with jealousy. We call it concern. We say about our complaining, I'm just voicing my opinion. And for faithlessness, we say I'm being careful. Every sin is a smack in the face to our God. And David realized that. Every sin is spittle in the face of our Savior. And David was not weeping in this psalm because he had sinned against his family. And he had. He wasn't weeping because he had sinned against Bathsheba. And he had. He wasn't weeping because he had sinned against his nation. And he had. He was weeping because he sinned against God. We see that sensitivity with Joseph. He had a high view of what God thought about sin. Matthew Henry said, deal seriously with your sin and God will deal gently with you. Number three, backsliders never get right with God until they get tired of being dirty. If Psalm 51 tells me anything, it's that David got tired of being dirty. Now, some people don't wash under their arms. Why? They've gotten used to it. We can get used to sin. We can get to the place where we think we're clean. I don't think a skunk can smell himself. Most people that have bad breath don't know it. Why? Used to it. We can get so used to sin that we don't see the dirt anymore. That's scary to me. That's scary. That ought to concern you. That you don't even, that you might not even have the spiritual discernment to see the dirt anymore. In Psalm 51, David saw the dirt. Some of you, perhaps you're dirty tonight, and your pastor can see it. Your family can see it, but you can't see it. Why? You're used to it. Look with me at verse 7. <clears throat> Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He saw the dirt. Verse 9, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. He saw the dirt. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He saw the dirt. I've got a question for you tonight. When are you going to see the dirt? 
That's when you're ready to be clean. Number four, a backslider never gets right. My last point. A backslider never gets right with God until they see themselves as a stumbling block. This is the saddest of the four points to me. The saddest thing to me about David is when Nathan came to him and said, because you have given great occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme, the child that is born unto thee shall surely die. In other words, because of your sin, somebody's going to die. Don't forget that principle. The worst thing about being a backslider is that somebody might stumble into hell. In other words, somebody might die because of my sin. Look at verse number 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Let me ask you a question. When you're backslidden, how many people get saved? Well, you say a few. That's not you. If they do get saved, that's the Holy Spirit and His Word. But our backslidden flesh doesn't get anyone saved. It doesn't. David realized that people had gone to hell because of his backslidden state. Because he was in sin, he couldn't win anyone to the Lord. You see, David sat on the throne of Israel right in the midst of paganism. The Canaanites, right? That was their corporate name, but they had family names. The Perizzites, the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Edomites, all the ites. And the tights, right? When David sinned, what do you think all those pagans said? <laughs> David, the monotheist. David, the one who said, the Lord is my shepherd. You phony. Who are you to talk to us? And the heart of David in this chapter is, I can't get anybody saved anymore. When you're dirty and backslidden, you stop people from going to heaven. I wonder if there's people that are watching you that say, if that's Christianity, I don't want that brand. Backslider, wake up tonight. Because if you stay in your backslidden state and you send enough souls to hell... God Almighty may take you to heaven before your time. Sobering, isn't it? You may become a liability to him instead of an asset. There is a sin unto death. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Is there some backsliding in your heart? If you want to get right, you've got to stop blaming, and then you fill in the blank. You've got to see the seriousness of your sin. You've got to be tired of being dirty. 
And you've got to realize that people may be tumbling over you into hell. Let's stand to our feet with heads bowed and eyes closed.